I've asked David Ward if he would just pray uh, for our missionaries in Haiti and thank God for this opportunity and other folks around the world that are serving Christ. Pray with us, please. Father, we just uh, we thank you for today. Thank you for the, the beautiful faces that we got to see. We thank you for the, the willingness of these people, the missionaries, to go to, uh, to Haiti to see just <laughs> you're an awesome God. I pray that you would just bless the hands that went down there. I pray for the feet that are on the ground. And Father, you've given them a mission. And Father, that uh, you are the God of all. You're the God of the universe. And you have a special plan for us. I thank you for opportunities for people to step out and to leave their comfort zone. To reach out and see how you can work in an awesome way. Father, just be with us today and thank you again for giving our team a safe trip down there and a safe trip back. Again, bless their hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, David. David is uh, one of our teachers with our elementary kids, so they wanted to come in here and uh, hear part of that report, and they're going to go on back to their uh, class now. So thank you, David. So what does that have to do with the book of Romans? Well, actually, it has everything to do with the book of Romans. As we get to chapter 10 this morning of our uh, study, we see that uh, taking the gospel to others is just central to what Paul is talking about here. Uh, It's uh, week four of college football, but it's week 17 of our study in Romans, okay? So here we go. Again, and I want to just, as, we have, as we've heard about Haiti and what our team did there, I want to remind us of how that fits uh, with our church and what we're about. And uh, we have some core values as a church, and I want to put a couple of them up on the screen here as we think about what we just heard and as we prepare to look in Romans this morning. One, if you look at the very bottom uh, value here, uh, says that we value missions. And it says, every believer is a minister and a missionary. In a culture of accumulation, we give ourselves in sacrificial service to the church, our neighbors, and the nation. We say this often around here, but every believer, every Christian is a minister and a missionary. So you don't have to go to Haiti, although we want to go to Haiti and other parts of the world, to be a missionary. In fact, all you have to do is go home today and go next door or go to work on Monday morning and you have a mission field. And that isn't just for me or the John Bockelmans or the professional uh, missionaries among us, that we're all called to take the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. And that's what Romans 10 is telling us. We, uh, we believe, we value the gospel. We never outgrow the good news. We want to share it. It's, the, it's how we're founded. It's how we're formed. And it's what fuels us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at number three, relationships. We are radically relational. We turn off our screens and slow down our schedules, creating space for true face time and community. How are you doing on that one? Man, that's hard, isn't it? We are such a busy people. We are such a chaotic, schedule-driven people. And as our world gets more and more uh, digitized, if you will, and more and more individualized and e-everything, 
I think what's going to make the people of God uh, stand out even more in the years ahead is that we do FaceTime, real FaceTime. That we invite our neighbors into our home and break bread together and share a meal and, and, and have conversations and aren't always glued to our devices. And if my kids were in here, they'd come up here and slap me because they often catch me with face and device, right? But we're to, we're to go out of here this morning and build relationships with a lost world and impact the world through good works as well as through the good news. That's what we're called to do. The gospel was never designed to terminate on us. The gospel is not to terminate us, but we are to be the conduits of the gospel to the rest of the world. And that's what we find here in Romans chapter 10. So open your Bibles with me. This is uh, the outline is in the CC app. If you have our CC app, you can follow along the outline then. And I actually said uh, Romans 10, we're going to back up a few verses and get the end of chapter 9, and we'll go all the way through um, chapter 10, Lord willing here if time allows, okay? So um, we're to go into the world. We're to go to our neighbors and the nations, but there is a, a hurdle that we have in this, and there is a responsibility that we play in this. So let's read uh, beginning in chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 30, and I'll read uh, part of it, and we'll uh, jump in here, okay? So uh, chapter 9, verse 30, just follow along with me here as Paul writes. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who placed who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in, reach, in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but, but as it were based on works. They, stumped, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We'll stop right there. And let me pray for us as we look into God's word, okay? Holy Spirit, we invite you uh, into our hearts this morning as we open up your word, Lord, that whatever is needed for each person here, whether it's encouragement or whether it's a prod, 
that you, Holy Spirit, would provide what we need to hear from you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would make us people who know the gospel, people who are passionate about the gospel, and people who share the gospel in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, uh, a couple uh, things context-wise. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul is really beginning this explanation about why is it that Israel has not responded to Jesus the Messiah based upon all the history and the heritage that they have. And so we looked at a very difficult piece of Romans last week. It talks about God's sovereignty in salvation. And if you missed that, it was a doozy and it gave us a headache and it was kind of hard to hear. But as we move into chapter 10, he, Paul emphasizes not only does God in his sovereignty have this, this uh, power over who comes to faith in Christ, but we see that in chapter 10, we have a responsibility alongside God's divine sovereignty to believe the gospel and then also to share the gospel. But there is a major hurdle we have in embracing the gospel And we see that in these first verses here from verse 30 on into chapter 10, verse 13. And that is simply this. Point number one, our goodness can be a bigger barrier to salvation than our badness. Our goodness can be a barrier to salvation. Sometimes even more so than our badness. Sometimes our biggest hurdle to faith is not rebellion, but religion. Not immorality, but morality. Being good people. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here as he explains us why, hasn't it, why haven't is more of Israel believed. And he says it's because they're trying to attain a righteousness by their good works. And it's those good works that have become a stumbling block and a hurdle for them to really have salvation, which is simply receiving salvation. So he contrasts here. This law righteousness versus faith righteousness. He says they're zealous. The Israelites are zealous, but their zeal is not in accordance with knowledge. They're pursuing good things, but they have not submitted to the righteousness of God that comes simply by faith. So the chart hopefully is helpful here, and it just kind of summarizes what Paul says in these verses. The law of righteousness is for the Jew only. They, were, they felt uh, better than other nations because God had used them, looked down upon the Gentiles. It was based upon works. It was on what they did, which gave them a, self, a sense of self-righteousness. If you want to go back and look at Romans chapter 3, where Paul talks about we cannot be saved by conforming ourselves to God's commandments. What he says here, if you're going to conform to the law, you've got to conform to the law on all parts. Not just say, hey, I got this part, but I stumbled over here. Well, if you stumble over here, you've stumbled. And your goodness cannot save you. The emphasis there is on obeying the Lord. Versus calling on the Lord for help in faith righteousness. It leads to pride and it glorifies self. And then he's going to explain that the way to God, the way to salvation, the way to have God's righteousness is not by good works, but by faith, which has been his ongoing point throughout the book of Romans. So for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. It comes by faith alone. It's God's righteousness, not our self-righteousness. And it brings salvation as we call on the Lord, and it leads to humility rather than pride. And ultimately, it's God who gets the glory. But one of the main ways we stumble, and one of the main ways that people in good old Southern America and Texas and conservative USA stumble is because of their goodness. In fact, it's one of the major reasons that people stay out of church on Sunday morning is because the good religious or non-religious people outside of church walls say, hey, I am better than the hypocrites that go to church. It's kind of a salvation by comparison. Hey, I'm a, I'm a better person than, than them. They are hypocrites, so I don't even need God. I don't even need that religion. I'm a better person than many of the people I know that claim to follow Christ. And so because they can't get over the hypocrisy of people that have claimed to be Christians or they feel morally superior to other religious people, they feel like, hey, I don't need God's righteousness because I'm pretty good myself. I have my own. That's been said that achievement is the alcohol of our time. Achievement is the alcohol of our day. When you look around us, we're high achievers. And it's, it's what we can do to make ourselves valuable, to justify ourselves or to prove ourselves good before God by what we bring to the table, by, hey, I'm a better person than the people I work with. I don't cheat like they do or I don't uh, do these other things. And it's, it's this sense of achievement. We've got to do something to make ourselves right before God or what we do justifies ourselves before other people. Some of you that are my age or, or older will remember Rocky, Sylvester Stallone. And you'll remember in that Rocky movie as Rocky is, is talking to Adrian, some of the you know, young folks, you know, what are you talking about? Uh, as, as Rocky is talking to Adrian and she's like, why do you have to go to the distance? Why is it so important for you to go the distance? And Rocky replies, oh, Adrian, he says, because Adrian, so, so I, if I go the distance, I'll know I'm not a bum. If I go the distance, I'll know I'm not a bum. That I've achieved something, that I've justified myself before other people or even as we do this morally, justifies ourselves before God. This sense of, I've got to do something. And so we're running around as achievers rather than receivers of God's, of God's righteousness. Let me give you another from the 80s, Madonna. Madonna in Vanity Fair says this. She says, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. Wow. Even though I've achieved, I, feel like, I still feel like I have to achieve more. That I have to do more. And unfortunately, that is the drive of religion. And it can even be the drive of good, conservative, wholesome, God-fearing people in Texas 
or wherever you find yourself that, hey, I, I, I've, I've achieved and that kind of makes me worthy or I've got to achieve more to be in good standing before God. And Paul is saying here that salvation comes not by works righteousness, not by making ourselves worthy, but actually by saying, I can't make myself worthy. And, and God, through Jesus Christ, has given me a status and a justification, a righteousness that I could never get on my own. And so my status before God, my status in holiness is not something that I achieve, but something that I have received. And it takes the pressure of achievement and performance off. Some of us think that if our kids turn out right, it means whatever your definition of right or good is, that it means something about me. That means something about you. That if I get this, if I land this sale, then I'll really have achieved something. I'll finally have kind of met the status that I need in my career. If I get a certain office, corner office, then I will have arrived. If I have this home or I have this kind of status in my community or in my neighborhood, I will have made it, I will have arrived, but it's this never-ending search, this never-ending striving for a sense of validation and, in religious language, justification before God. But if I do these things, if my kids turn out well, if I get this status in my company, if I make that sale, then I will be somebody. And the good news of the gospel is that your value before God and your status before God, your righteousness before God, comes from no achievement but your own, but the receipt, the receiving of Jesus' righteousness given to you. So how do we come to Jesus? We come to Jesus not with a resume in our hands, but with a debt. Not with a gift in our hands, but empty-handed. Not with the good works that we've done, but with a sense of spiritual bankruptcy. Because no striving for righteousness would ever attain God's righteousness. And it was what Israel was doing was not submitting to the righteousness that God had already revealed, but working and working and working. Now, if you're here this morning... And if you feel like you have made a mess of your life and you feel insecure to be here worshiping with other people, you may be closer to the heart of God than the self-righteous people sitting around you because you come needy. And that's the way, the only way that people ultimately come to God is not by what we have, but by what we don't have. As the old saying says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And if you're burnt out, if you've blown it, if you've made a mess, God can take all that away and say, here is your status before me, totally clean, totally forgiven, regardless of your bad works and regardless of your good works. And the stumbling block for some of you here this morning may be that you sit in church. And you think that by sitting in church, you're somehow earning brownie points with God or you're somehow making yourself acceptable to God. 
But sitting in church no more makes you a Christian than sitting in your garage makes you a car. The status that we get before God is received and not achieved. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Is, you, is your relationship with God this morning kind of founded upon your goodness, upon your sense of morality or your, your sense of uh, superiority over other people who don't live as nobly or as righteously as you do? You have not placed your faith in Jesus. You are actually placing your faith in yourself. So again, I challenge you, is your faith in yourself this morning, in your works of righteousness, or is your faith in the righteousness of Jesus alone? Secondly, we have this hurdle, but secondly, we have this responsibility to help others embrace the good news. We have this responsibility. So this is our responsibility as angels and corporately as a, as a believing body of Christ, as a church, to send people out, to send people out to Haiti and to the nations and even into our neighborhoods to give this good news. We have a responsibility. There's other places where we could turn in the scriptures that talk about not only the good news we share, but the good works that we do. What uh, Jim and his team uh, did down in Haiti was a, was a visible expression of the gospel. Chapter 10 of Romans doesn't say anything about building homes in Haiti. We believe that's a good thing. We want to merge good works with the good news. But the priority of Romans chapter 10 is that they have to believe the good news. Gospel ministry is, is good deeds and, and, and good news. But if there's a priority, it's the priority of sharing that good news. Get good news, getting people to trust in Jesus for their salvation. That's the priority of Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and everyone who is saved will call on the Lord to save others. So a question for us all this morning, how are you participating in furthering the gospel ministry? How are you personally participating in furthering the gospel ministry. According to these verses, we, we all have an obligation to tell. We have an obligation to go if there's another place that we need to go. I hope that as a church, uh, our vision as a church is that these kids, and not just the kids that were sitting over here earlier, but maybe some of you that are sitting here this morning, that that's at some point in your life, some of us will decide to go to other places in the world to help this gospel be furthered that will send some of our students, that will send some of our young people as a, as a church body to go in the world and further gospel ministry. Maybe God will call you to go somewhere beyond Collin County. 
And I hope that if God does, as a, as a body, as a church family, Centennial will get behind you and help send you. So there's this sending, this telling, and this going. We want to send you in to your neighborhoods this week. We also want to send people around the world as we did to Haiti. We have, I'm looking over here at Wendy and John and Wendy Bachelman. Many of us look at the things that are happening in the, in the Middle East and we just, we're perplexed and we're fearful and we're scared and we don't know how to make a difference. We have a, a family, we have a couple in our church that have given their lives to ministry in some of the hardest places in the world. And if you haven't gotten to know John and Wendy, I pray that you'll get to know and you'll be a part of their sending team. And that you'll join others in this body like Elizabeth and I do to monthly support them as John as he goes into the Middle East and places that he can't even speak of sometimes to equip pastors and to further gospel ministry there. You may not have to go to Haiti. You may not be called to go to the Middle East or to Australia or to Africa or whether it whatever it is. But I think we're all called to help send and to pray for those who go. So very practically this morning, I want to ask you as a family or as a single person here this morning, how are you strategically involving yourselves in the sending of people for gospel ministry through Centennial Church and individually? Maybe that's something you need to pray about this morning. God, help me intentionally be involved in the sending ministry of our church. And lastly there, obviously praying. We'll come back to that one in just a second. Most lost people, most people that need the gospel are not going to walk in here on a Sunday morning and say, tell me the good news of Jesus so I can go to heaven. Unfortunately, that's just not going to happen. Now, every week there will be people gathered here with us that have been confused about the gospel. And maybe you're here searching this morning. But most of the time, our gospel ministry is going to happen outside these walls as we go to our places of influence on Monday morning. The feet of those who need the gospel will often not walk in here. But every week, the feet of those who know Jesus walk out of here. And that is your mission field. That is the place that God is sending you. That is the place that you're going to share the hope of the gospel through good works as well as through good news. And that's point number three. Point number three is this. We can be his feet. We can say this prayer. Look at verse 14. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. I have to take issue with Paul here something because he calls feet beautiful. Feet are not beautiful, okay? There's, there's, there's two sets of feet that are beautiful in the world, okay? And one of them is my wife's and one of them is my little six-year-old daughter, okay? Beautiful feet. But the rest of feet, I'm sorry to break it to you, feet are gross, But what Paul is saying here through Isaiah the prophet as well is that the feet of those who take hope to the world, the feet of those who take the gospel to the world are beautiful feet. If you've spent time in places that that in many ways resemble the first century, places that are poor like Haiti or places I've been in Africa, watched as, as people that I worked with would come to our home and they'd get our garden hose and they'd wash their feet. 
because most of them walk around barefoot and their feet are absolutely disgusting. I remember watching, no offense, um, just watching the dirt and the sludge and the grossness of friends of mine in Ethiopia as they wash their feet on our front porch. Feet are gross. But Paul is saying the feet of those who go into their world with the good news are beautiful, beautiful feet. So will you go? I, I, I expect every week as I prepare messages up here, I, I think about sharing the gospel with people that are here. Those of us that constantly need to be reminded of the gospel because we get in an achievement routine and we need to be reminded of the good news that it's not up to us, but Christ has done it for us. I often think about presenting the gospel as I'm preparing my message. But another way I think about my message, folks, is that I'm preparing ministers. I'm preparing missionaries because the work of ministry doesn't happen just on Sunday morning at 1030. It happens seven days a week as Centennial Church sends you out of here with your ugly old feet to share the beautiful news in the places that you go. I beg to differ. Sorry. Not only your feet, but we also need to pray for our heart. Look at Paul's words, very convicting words in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And let me ask you this question. We'll get to prayer in just a minute. But how's your heart's desire for the lost, for the lonely, for the hurting, for the hungry? How's your heart's desire? I have to confess to you this morning as a pastor, often my heart's desire is not for the lost. They annoy me. I'm bothered by people. And Paul is saying here, as he said at the beginning of chapter 9, my heart's desire is that would people, my own people, would come to know Jesus the Savior as I know him. And so let's just admit this morning that for most of us, for probably a lot of us, it's not our heart's desire. And maybe we just need to begin by saying, Father, make my heart like yours. Make my heart ache for the lost. Make me have compassion on the crowds as Jesus did. Maybe we need to start with that prayer. I know I need it. Here's my one takeaway challenge for us this morning. Just a very specific application point for us from this passage, okay? We didn't get to the last verses there, but um, tomorrow, maybe today, but definitely tomorrow, you will get up, your feet will hit the floor, you may get ready to go to work or whatever, and you will put on your shoes. Put on your shoes, okay? I'll put on my flip-flops. You can put on your shoes, Put whatever. But as you put on your shoes Monday morning, and maybe you just want to make this every day, as you put on your shoes, here's what I challenge us to do. Pray for your heart. God, as I take these ugly old feet to places that I'm going to go today, would you give me, would you make my heart's desire to minister to other people? Would you help me, Jesus, to be your feet as I go out today. We do that with me. When you put on your shoes, pray for your heart and pray for the people that your feet could reach. Sound good? God 
draws people to himself by the Spirit. But we have a responsibility to pray, to go, to send, and to go and tell ourselves. It's the good news. It's what people need. It's what we need. And let's put on our shoes and go do it. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, we just thank you this morning that if there was any one person that could keep his feet from dirt and grime and the yuckiness of this world, it was Jesus. But he chose to get his feet dirty. He chose to wash the feet of disciples and to come close to us and to rescue us from our sin. And Lord, I pray that we would have your heart's desire. We would have your compassion for the hurting, the lost around us. And God, that each day as we put on our shoes, we would be ready to be your ministers and missionaries wherever it is that we go. Jesus, again, we thank you that you got dirty, that you entered our mess. great missionary came and did good works and shared with us the good word. Jesus, we ask that by your spirit, you would empower us to do the same in our worlds. It's in your beautiful name we pray.